0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cave of the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick, and I'm Tony, and uh, we're um, part of the show that uh, we we take the books off our shelves, we take off the dust covers. We don't destroy them, no matter who you are. You should never destroy dust covers, but you clean them off because <laughs> they've been sitting on the desk on the on the shelves for a while, and we're actually pulling them open and reading them as we should, and as we've told our families that no, no, we'll, we'll get to that book. So we're getting into the books, and we're kind of breaking it down for you chapter by chapter, explaining the harder concepts, talking about it a little bit more, expanding it out. And so uh, that's what we're doing with Scott Christen's book here. What about evil? A defense of God's sovereign glory. Hmm. And we're kind of getting right into um, the start of the theory that he's going to propose. And so uh, if, if you thought we're going at breakneck speed before and um, knocking down these totems of, of unamasked, uh, Uh, people who who have put forth these theological concepts that, that, uh, you know, no one has stood the test of time against. Uh, Well, now he's, he's saying, I've, I've knocked him over. Uh, Here's the issues with them. That's what we've gone up to uh, from, from essentially chapter kind of two to chapter um, chapter seven. And now in chapter eight, we're starting to build his theory. And so that, that's what he's doing here. And so um, uh, if, if, by the end of this chapter, you're going to go, wait, hold on. He didn't get to that part yet. That's the next chapter. So yeah. now we're going to start holding his feet to the fire where uh, we're constantly um, uh we were constantly told throughout uh, the previous chapters. We'll just wait for chapter eight, chapter right. nine. So we'll, we'll we'll
1: get a chance to see. He, he's been throwing rocks, and now we'll see what his glass <laughs> right. house is right. like. Right? right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, He's
0: he's building this house of uh, hopefully of a brick. Yeah, on, on, on the rock. On the rock. And so um, we we start with uh, chapter eight, walking through the Bible's dark forest here. And so um, again, he's going to be um, uh, kind of building up his. His idea of uh, who God is, and that's where he's going to ground um, our understanding of uh, if evil is possible within the, the character and nature of God. That's what he's um, trying to establish, is that it's not, evil's not this this entity that exists outside of God or outside of his power or control. It doesn't rest within uh, the ultimate authority of man and his free will, uh, but uh, but it's utilized by God. Uh, for good and not just some evil, but all evil. So, uh, we're going to be taking a look at that while also looking at, well, is, is, does that make then God the author of evil? Mm-hmm. And so, uh, walking through the Bible's dark forest, he starts off by saying, Many Christian philosophers and theologians are quick to shield God's providence from evil, supposing that he might become contaminated by exposure to it. And this is kind of a, a lofty goal and idea. This is, no, no one really wants to say, uh, you know, God's this kind of demiurge who who th- you know throws um uh, uh, rocks down from on high from Mount Olympus and <laughs> and you know uh, he's just a, a a mean god during the day, but then he's satiated by um, sacrifices or, or uh, uh, you know so- soothing songs or, or what what maybe. Um, but no, uh, they they try to say that um, you know evil is is this other thing than God, and he can't be the the author or the source from which it came. But the God of the Bible shows no such concern. He gladly declares both his full control over and his intricate plans for the same evil he hates with a holy hatred and thus condemns in no uncertain terms. And that's pretty clear throughout the Bible of hating sin. Sin is this, this thing that's opposite of, of what God has commanded or who God is or uh, what he wants. And this paradoxical feature of the biblical witness, God's holy sovereignty walking alongside repulsive witness is foundational for grasping a scriptural theodicy. Mm. It's one of the reasons why the Bible doesn't end after chapter 3. And he's grounding it, not that this surprised God or um, came about that was a, a, a plan B type deal, but uh, this was part of his plan, and he still walks alongside fallen creatures that he then wrests control uh, from the devil and puts it. Square, or he adopts those people squarely into his his um, his family, mm-hmm. and even those that he don't he 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 doesn't adopt, he uses that evil and those people for his good pleasure and for the greater good. Exactly.
1: And so Christensen tells us, and he kind of, you know, indicates the problem here, how can God decree and ensure in his meticulous providence, right, the happening of things that he otherwise vehemently opposes, right? And so he says he wants to show this tension and this paradox are clearly displayed in the teaching of Scripture. And this leaves theologians with a dilemma. It has resulted in two fundamental but opposing visions concerning God, man, and evil. One vision, he says, is to downplay or reinterpret the biblical data. Remember, we don't want God to be evil or to (laughs) be associated with evil. So it seeks to exonerate God um, at all costs, putting forth a picture of reality in which his providence, right, his control over his creation is curtailed in one degree or another. He tells us at the expense of granting humanity an unwarranted level of autonomy. We are free. That's why, you know, God is exempt from evil, because it's our fault we do it. We got him out of the pot, right? right? <laughs> you yeah. know, and so that's, you know, so that's one way that um, he suggests that uh, they try to overcome this particular issue. Because if God is in control, if he has sovereign degrees, then somehow, you know, there's he's responsible for evil. And of course, folks don't want that, and therefore. Uh, you know, they say, "Well, no, it's it's human free will, right?" And as we have seen, he's already suggested that doesn't work,
0: right? right. And uh, we can kind of see a, a, an example of this debate going on because we kind of covered uh, previously um, um, a couple chapters ago, uh, Molinism, and at the, the recording of this. But you're probably watching it about a month after it um, on the Unbelievable Broadcast. Uh, uh, James White, who's a Calvinist and and Reformed person. Uh, kind of had a debate discussion with William Lane Craig, uh, who's uh, a Molinist, and the the topic of discussion was which which kind of version of Christianity uh, does the best to explain the problem of evil. That's mm-hmm. what it was kind of grounded on. So I'll link that video below, but I'm sure we've all probably seen it by now. Uh, I'm projecting a month into the future, so um, it, it was a, a rare discussion on William Lane Craig's part to kind of interact with. Uh, somebody else and and not just ideas and concepts that he kind of puts forth. But uh, I I thought that was a good interaction, especially in light of what uh, uh, Christensen has covered here. So uh, we've already explored the opposing vision, which sees God in his unbridled glory. It is decidedly, Theocentric, that is like God-centered. This is the God as explicated in the classical and reformed tradition, the God of Augustine, Anselm, Calvin, Luther, Owen, Edwards, especially Warfield, Sproul, and uh, uh, J.I. Packer. It is reflected in the greater good brands of theodicy. Humanity's role is not denigrated here. It is shown to give way to a God of a far grander and more all-encompassing nature, than many of his timid apologists are are want to afford to him. So, you know, we 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 have people that don't seem to have a problem with evil in in this capacity.
1: Yeah, yeah, and associating it somehow, you know, with God without tainting God right. and calling right. God evil. Yeah, n- n- none of those
0: people are going to say, "Well, yeah, God, you know, he's he's just a little bit evil to let yeah. evil in, or he's the author <laughs> of evil." Yeah,
1: no, no, no. And so, so the first uh, major area in this particular chapter he wants us to see is God's absolute goodness. Right. So even though we can, there's some, there's going to be some association. He wants the first to, to establish the fact that uh, God is absolutely good. Right. Mm -hmm. Before he says we can uh, uh, adequately consider God's sovereign relationship to evil. It's important to affirm the doctrine of his absolute goodness. He says that all Orthodox Christians, agree on the general outlines of how to construe God's goodness right nonetheless he says we must see that God's goodness and his power has the um, the sovereign necessity to go together right They must never in any circumstances be separated. God's sovereignty never trumps his goodness right as some accuse calvinism of teaching he says mm-hmm. and on the other hand god's goodness never trumps his sovereignty right we're talking about one god with one nature and so you know he isn't out of balance as it were yeah. right
0: so this is kind of like the the idea of divine simplicity it's it's not this kind of uh if you, if you try and take the root word it's like oh well god is a simple being to understand no no it's he's not a collection of parts it's not uh, here's his his loving side and here's his non-loving side they they god is is not made up of parts he is he is all love and all mercy and all glory and he's all these things and not divisible by it and mm-hmm. he he expresses them uh both uh, both equally and uh, in um, perfect relationship with every other characteristics of of, of him so that's what uh, if you've heard divine simplicity argue before that's what uh, is being talked about here uh, so many free will theists emphasize God's love and goodness as the controlling paradigm for solving the problem of evil, but the unity and simplicity of God's being mean that we cannot single out one of His attributes and place it above another, or we, you know, kind of topple over uh, the the uh, normal orthodox understanding of who God is and uh, how He's related to in Scripture, which uh, again, our ultimate authority is is what we're trying to derive our theodicy from. Mm-hmm. All the attributes are equally God's being. In Him, there is no higher or lower, no greater and smaller. The God of mercy is equally the God of justice. The God of love is equally the God of wrath. Wrath cannot be understood apart from God's love, and vice versa.
1: All right, and so you know He has some re- some proof texts. Right, David declares, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him." Psalm thirty four eight. Mm-hmm. He says, in this regard, God's goodness is uh, simply his benevolence, right? God does that which is to benefit, to the benefit of his creation. He is the source of all natural, moral, spiritual good. Nothing impedes his abundant goodness, as Psalm 145 says, Right. right? So God's goodness is also closely
0: connected to his holiness, especially as that rich term refers to his distinctly exalted moral purity. God is wholly righteous and free of any taint of evil or of any moral defilement. Thus, it is impossible for him to entertain an evil thought or intention. There is no possible scenario in which God could uh, contemplate an evil thought. He doesn't stumble into it and say, oh, you, you know, I, I got a little hot-headed yeah. here. Yeah. Let me back off. I apologize. I'm or, sorry. oops,
1: I missed this one. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. He hits 100% of the shots he takes.
0: <laughs> so uh, he, he uh, doesn't contemplate uh, this evil thought or utter an evil word or commit an evil deed. Uh, Job 34.10 says, Hear me, you men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness and from the Almighty that he should do wrong. It's not possible. The, the character and nature that God is made up of as revealed in Scripture, uh, it, it, it's, it's like um, uh, putting, putting dirt on a gloved hand. It, it just doesn't get on you. Right, it's right. not possible.
1: Exactly. And so um, God's righteousness then means that he demands obedience of his image-bearing creatures. Every human being is under a divine mandate, oblig, uh, obligated to abide by the moral law that God has inscribed in our hearts. Romans chapter 2 talks about that, right? We have the law written on our hearts. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, the demands of an impeccably righteous God also indicate that he is uh, wholly just, right? He's fair. He's just. He rewards righteousness uh, equitably and punishes all wickedness impartially. So he's, he's righteous, he's holy, he's just, and that's part of who God is. Right, right. right. When we say that, well, we want God to be fair, we, we don't want God to be
0: fair. <laughs> that's what we don't want. But he, he is perfectly fair within um, being perfect with his divine justice and also being a merciful God. Since all have sinned and short of the glory of his moral perfection, as Romans 3.23 says, each person faces one of two destinies. Some will be justified by his grace through the redemption of his son, as Romans 3.24 says, and the fullness of joy that proceeds from God's presence and goodness in their inheritance forever, Psalm 16.11 says. While others will face the terrifying pr- uh, prospect of having to suffer the punishment of eternal destruction of Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might, they they kind of lose this this uh, this general um, um, d- divine uh, common grace that is afforded to all people, and they're essentially given over to themselves to to um, enact of whatever they want in in this this outer darkness. Yeah. That's uh, the second and so they suffer this
1: this punishment.
0: Yeah, 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 and and again, we we, we don't take our theology from. Dante Dante was was you know a Roman Catholic and so we have issues with that but um, you know he's he's writing uh, in po- poetical form there too and we definitely don't take it from Looney Tunes cartoons if there's still Looney Tunes cartoons around but <laughs> back in my day you know you had the uh, you had whatever version of Tom so, and Jerry or, or Bugs Bunny uh, horns, you know, yeah uh, with uh, with the pitchforks pitchfork, and getting yeah. one over and, <laughs> and all the little hellfires and stuff um, you know the, 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 that's not where we derive our idea from this uh, from this destruction this this outer darkness um, because of their disbelief they're they're, they're cast into this um, this separation from uh, this this chasm which cannot be crossed it's a dishonor to him and their unrepentant rebellion against against God
1: right and and we I, I think we saw that in the last chapter he, he mentions that you know this idea that um, you know what should happen is in terms of punishment if we punish God one time, then maybe we should only be— I mean, if we go against God one time, then we should only be punished one time. The the problem with that is is God is infinite, right? And so when we go against God, when we sin against God, when we do evil, then we have offended an infinite God who has to exercise infinite justice. Mm-hmm. And so it's no, well, you know— three years in, in hell and then I'm out kind right. of thing, right? yeah. No, yeah, no, no, no. We've we, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. We have offended and gone against and rebelled against an infinite God and we owe an infinite penalty. I mean and we do the same thing in our own system of justice, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I used this illustration last time. If I tell a lie to you, you know, uh, you might get mad, but so what? Right? <laughs> but if I tell that same lie to a police officer that he can do something about it. And if I tell that same lie to a grand jury Now I'm in big trouble, Mm -hmm. right? Because the higher the authority, the the greater the penalty. And we see the same thing here, right? God is the ultimate authority. And so when we, even the same thing against God, it uh, deserves the ultimate penalty, right? right? And so, you know, we can't just say, oh, well, you know, I I wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, Christensen then, having sketched this portrait of God's goodness, he says, "How can we say that it coheres with his sovereignty over evil if God is good?" And he says, "Making sense of the matrix of divine goodness and divine sovereign power at the intersection where evil makes itself known is central to his task that he wants to do, what he calls his the- uh, theodicy." Right now, he says that free will theism has found has been found wanting. Right, we see we saw that in early uh, chapters. So, what about uh, reform? Theology and its greater good—you know—proposals. Uh, so that's what he wants to kind of pursue, or be, at least begin to pursue here. Right, right? exactly. <clears throat> so uh, we cover uh, God's sovereignty over evil.
0: So the default default orientation of most Christians, including some Reformed theologians, is to construe God's sovereignty with a great degree of caution to preserve His perfect goodness and unblemished righteousness. And if, to some extent, we can kind of see why that's want to be done. We we want to be careful with who God is, who He reveals Himself to be, and we don't want to to just be flippant and say, uh, "Oh, you know, um, um, God God is un, uh, is uh, uh, knows that uh, uh, abortion is happening, and He He doesn't care because that that's just that's just how He wants it." <laughs> no, there's there, there's there's you know the divine wills and and talking about that and um, His decrees and commands and um, punishing evil, but also utilizing bad things for good. And so that's uh, kind of what we'll take a look at here. There is no reason to fault this impulse as we see no Christian, including the Calvinists want to implicate God in evil. Good yeah. yet to say that God is sovereign over all things, cannot admit exceptions without equivocating on the terms themselves.
1: Right. So, so notice the issue here, right? Uh, God is in control and yet evil happens. So how do you deal with that, right? If he is in control how, and he's good, all good, how can evil happen? That's, that's the issue that it's this, uh, it's this um, uh, we might say, tension between his power and his goodness, mm-hmm. right? If he's all powerful, then he can, uh, he can accomplish anything that he wants. And if he's all good, then all he wants is good. And so if put those together and all we should have is good. Right? and yet we know that there's evil. Right. So how, how do we deal with that? Yeah, and e,
0: that's e, even even in the the free will libertarian view, you know, God actualizes the the best possible world. Well, he's he's still he's still utilizing his knowledge to actualize a world in which he knows what free creatures will do or, or can do, and he actualizes that. But he still comes in. And for some odd reason, he makes changes to that. He he enters into creation. Well, why didn't he just actualize a world where he didn't have to do that and, right. and be the blind watchmaker? And, and why does he have to to nudge people or or wipe them out or, or any of this? Well, but he can
1: be the seeing watchmaker and <laughs> produce a world that doesn't have that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So so we get we get a lot of issues um, um, with that, and uh, we still see um, a need to explain um, God's. Um, Not being an author of of evil in in that way. He still actualizes a world. So he actualized a world in which free creatures do evil. So how is he not a creator of evil in that capacity? Yeah, exactly.
1: But Christensen doesn't want us to back away from this because this is what the Scripture teaches, right? right? If God's sovereign decree, uh, you know, is all-encompassing. Right. He, he his it takes over his all that happens in his creation and his providence is meticulously administered, you know, as he as he has shown. Then there's no shrinking away from the obvious. God must determine all evil to take place. And this is not something to be embarrassed about. Right. He tells us. Right. He quotes Jonathan Edwards. Edwards says that it is far better that the good and evil which happens in God's world should be ordered, regulated, bounded, and determined by the good pleasure of an infinitely wise being than by impersonal chance or the unpredictable and futile machinations of man's free will. It's a whole lot better for God to be in control than it is for chance or even our own free will. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Edwards was getting at. Yeah, and he acknowledged that God is indeed in control, meticulously so.
0: Yeah, and again, it, it seems odd that that God would want to restrain Himself with, without, you know, within the incarnation, you can kind of see it because the the the, the nature of man is is what He's taking on, and so He's He's bound He's binding Himself within within that. He you know, it's He's He's humiliating Himself, as the Westminster Confession says, but in in the the cosmic rule in 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 heaven in uh, in the divine decrees in creating the universe uh, ex nihilo, it seems really odd that God needs to restrain Himself for for this this idea of of free will. And so, uh, you know, I, I yeah. understand the, the idea that uh, free will advocates will say, "Oh, so we're not robots," and so it's preserving that. But uh, you know, again, we 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 don't see that within the Trinity, and so. Mm-hmm. Can God, you know, can the Godhead then deflect some so that they have free will within the Godhead and to, to, to not love each other? You know, it's, <laughs> you, you get in those weird headspaces. But uh, but you know, here um, the the he's going to uh, Christians going to point to the biblical authors and say, listen,
1: we shouldn't be ashamed. If they weren't ashamed. Let's let's yeah. dig into it. Yeah, and so so that's what he's going to do next because it's you know you know. We might say, wow, he's getting close to heresy because he's trying to call (laughs) God evil or at least the source, you know, controlling evil or something like that. Well, he says, you know, no, not not necessarily. Let's parse it out. Let's see what
0: scripture actually says. Yeah. So in in the kind of the subtitle here, the transcendent Lord of all calamity, (laughs) he says, it is one thing to cite passages of scripture that make broad affirmations of meticulous sovereignty. But what about specific affirmations of the ca- casual connection between God and evil? Yeah. And guess what? They're there.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. The the um, God's, um, you know, soul, transcendent rule and authority is affirmed by, for instance, Jeremiah and Jeremiah and Lamentations, right? Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good... And bad come, mm-hmm.
0: Jeremiah says. You know, everyone looks at the Lamentations as this, "Ho hum, oh woe is me." But he's saying, "No, no, no." no. Read it and read it in the light of, of what's being declared. Like, yes, you have you have the badness in there, but it's all a a, declare, a, a declaration that, that God is sovereign and He controls us and He's above right. it, and we're able to trust in Him even when it becomes bad and awful, and uh, it seems like it's
1: we're we're unable to to go. Yes, your own way. Yeah, yeah. And so he says, you know, in this particular passage in lamentations that God is acknowledge, is acknowledged as the ultimate source of all that comes to pass, right? He's he's the source of it. Right. All who has spoken and it came to pass. Well, you mm-hmm. know, unless the Lord has commanded it, he commands and and accomplishes. So he is in control. He's powerful. He does what he wants to do. And in similar fashion, in Isaiah 45, seven, good and bad lamentations tells us indicates a comprehensive scope to what God determines to transpire. He determines both good and bad to, to come about. Now, the term bad, like calamity in Isaiah uh, 45, 7, is the standard Hebrew term for the word evil. Go figure, right? (laughs) Yet notice he tells us that this is not some lowly entity that is the source of these occurrences, but this was, as this passage says, the most high, Mm -hmm. right? So there there you have it. There's a specific, you know, kind of uh, uh, passage that deals with this, right? Right. All
0: right, right, and and especially you know the 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 charge is always oh well you know the God of the Old Testament is is so much meaner than the God of the New Testament, and it's like well okay you know <laughs> there, there's there's an argument to, to 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 respond against there, but why are they saying that? Well, it's because so much judgment is occurring, so much quote unquote bad stuff is happening in yeah. the Old Testament where he's judging nations, he's calling for uh warfare for the judgment o- over uh people that are uh killing their children he's calling armies to come in to uh to divide the nation his his people and then he's declaring judgment against those those people who know better than to attack uh um the the the, the israelite um uh, people yeah. So the broader context of Jeremiah's pronouncement is the affliction that the weeping prophet has experienced by watching his beloved city of Jerusalem succumb to the Babylonian invaders in 587 BC. He acknowledges God's sovereignty over this calamity and that does not leave him in a state of hopelessness. Oh, you know, God, God just let this happen, or this was outside God's, uh, yeah. you know, domain. And, of course, uh, us in our free will, we've we we've, we've, we've attacked messed each up, other, and, so, and yeah. this is clearly not what God intended <laughs> completely in any part of his, his being or will. He didn't even know about it. No, no. A few verses earlier, he speaks of his compassionate God. In Lamentations 3, 32 and 33, he says, But though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of a steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of
1: men. All right. So notice, uh, and even though God is deter- the determining force of the cause of grief, right, mm-hmm. that human suffers, uh, that we suffer as humans, uh, it's not the intention of his heart to afflict, humans simply for the sake of affliction he does not propose evil for evil's sake right right instead it has some broader purpose and it's always designed christensen wants us to understand for a greater good right right, right. so he's not this zeus-like
0: character who you know, he gets kind of angry with the the the, the men that he created and they're, you know, not uh, uh, giving him enough alms or, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, focusing on his brother more. And so he's got to go down and, and exact famine upon them. He's not doing evil for evil's sake. He's doing it either for a greater good or divine judgment, which would also be kind of in that scope of greater good. There, right. So only the transcendent Lord is qualified to decree good and evil without his comprehensive unbridled holiness being contaminated by the latter. That's uh, Deuteronomy thirty two thirty nine and for Samuel two six. While the Almighty does not do evil, He ordains even its worst manifestations to take place. He allows it to happen, or He calls forth. Uh, you know, I, I think of the the um, you know David's um, uh, uh, numbering the the census, and uh, in one it says, you know, God uh, God um, uh, made Him do this or, or sent Him. Uh, delusion to do this or a lying spirit Uh, in the the opposite passage that speaks of the same thing. It says he sends out the evil spirit to uh, kind of force David to do this, to, to, to make him do it so that um, God can judge him. And so uh, God uses both the evil spirits and the evil of David's heart to, um, to put him in a position where he can judge and then ultimately uh, come about. Of course,
1: David does it on his own free will. It's not like, you know, God jumps yeah, on him, God's pins down his manipulating arm, manipulating him through Oh, yeah. cry uncle, cry, cry
0: Right, because he, you know Nathan comes to him and gives him the you know uh, man steals uh, you know has ninety nine and steals the one. <laughs> oh, and, uh, you know I will kill that man. Who is that man? You are that man, and yeah. he falls down and he's like, oh, I've sinned, and he's just wrecked. And so, uh, you know, again, uh, that 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 purpose is seen within Scripture, and and we 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 can point to and say, ah, uh, he did this. Uh, uh, allowed this bad thing to take place and then uh, goodness resulted into it. And if we don't have that kind of divine God's eye view with the inspired scripture, it's really hard to be able to kind of parse that out and say, uh, here's the evil that took place and then here's the ultimate good. And so that's why when we get into, the, uh, when we talked about a, a few episodes ago of uh, this evil seems to be just bouncing out in the universe and it's not attached to good. Well, it's really hard for us to know without a divine decree telling us good resulted as a result of this. So. One reason why this fact is so hard to swallow, though, is we tend to evaluate the, the nature and actions of God as though we uh, he were confined to the finite realm of creature and not the transcendent realm of deity. As the sole creator, possessor, and sovereign lord of all, he is not comparable to any
1: mortal sovereign. And so that's he's, something we he's have to different think about. than we are, right? He's, he's other than we are, right? right? And so... He needs to be considered in that particular light. Uh, Now he wants to give us some specific instances of God's uh, sovereign hand over evil. Scripture, he says is not content to express God's sovereignty over evil in kind of broad generalities, but indicates specific instances of his sovereignty over evil. And of course, you know, the, The big one that we all think of (laughs) is Job's suffering, right? right? He's probably the most well-known example.
0: Yeah, because we can look at Job and say, oh, well, at least my life's not that bad. (laughs) That's that's how we feel better. (laughs) But that's not what Job says. Job (laughs) acknowledges the sovereignty of God in giving him all that he has and then summarily taking it away. Naked I came out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away blessed be the name of the Lord and he tells this to his wife uh, yeah. wife after you know this calamity had had occurred no you know children killed is um, livestocks uh, stolen you know I, I, I all of his worldly possessions
1: yeah. basically are gone yeah, yeah. and
0: uh I, I believe kind of the, the the take on job is that he's kind of this uh um, a regional king uh, uh, that's why he has uh, so much stuff so you know he's He's uh, pocked mark and in the in the ash field. He's scraping himself with a a, a pottery shard, and, and then his friends come out, and it gets even worse. So, mm-hmm. so even even within this, he is still saying, "Look, the Lord gives, and the Lord take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord." So, not even Job, even though he he recognizes the sovereignty of God in this and allowing it to happen, he still is saying that um, God's. Uh, um, name is, is still be able to be blessed. he's not saying, well, God, God uh, did this evil to me and, and he's culpable. He's morally culpable. He does not charge the almighty with wrongdoing in verse right. 22, one right. uh, in chapter one but blesses his name in an act of simple worship. Right. So one would say,
1: oh, Job, you know, all this is evil has happened, and you're saying that it's from the Lord? Uh, Yes. And the Scripture says that, you know, in doing this, Job has not charged the Almighty with wrongdoing. Mm -hmm. That's what verse 23 says, right? And he didn't even have the Bible. Yeah. (laughs) And so Christensen tells us that here we're, you know, this is where many are uh, befuddled, right? How does God respond? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Job doesn't uh, charge God with evil. So how does God respond? You know, is he dismayed by the tragedy of deaths of Job's sons and daughters and that sort of thing? Does he think that these things are out of hand? Has Satan gone too far, right? (laughs) Should should he have put a tighter leash on him kind of thing, right? If any of this is true... If that's true, then why does God instigate a second wave of calamity, right? Right, right. That, that, that's the,
0: the boils and, and, and
1: the, the friends come out.
0: <laughs> so note how God frames the second challenge is, is to Satan. Job still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. That's uh, chapter 2, verse 3. God puts forth the challenge, yet it is Satan who incites God against the innocent man. God accepts broad responsibility for Job's calamity, but deftly distance himself from moral liability. Why? He, he says, uh, you know, um, I will allow this to happen. And, you know, Satan is in God's presence and he's asking for permission. And um, I, I've, I've always attributed more to, to my reading of A.W. Pink than to, than to Luther. But the, the, the quote is that even Satan is God's Satan. He's he's a creature. He's he's not he's not in an arm wrestling match with God, but he's a a, a creature made in in um in God's power that uh, f- fell and has a specific purpose that God uses him for, and this is mm-hmm. one of those purposes. Mm-hmm. Nothing is left to chance. God knows full well that Job will retain his moral integrity and refuse to curse him in face of murder and mayhem. I, I mean, that's what what. Um, God's, um, uh, you know, bet here is with Satan. He's not saying like, oh, uh, you know, I think this might be the the, the Let's case. Let's see what happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's not rolling the dice on on Joe. Yeah, <laughs> and it's yeah. in fear and eating us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and and two, you know, well, okay, say that's the case. Well, what are the stakes? The stakes are Satan's saying, listen, this this is this is um, you, you you bless him. Of course, he, he's going to de- declare you good and holy and righteous. Uh, but, uh, you know, let calamity come to him, let evil come to him and he'll curse your name at the first thing. It's God's character, his nature that Satan is impugning here. He's, Mm -hmm. he's attacking, uh, that that's the end goal is that, that, um, you you know, if, if, if you're so, so good, let, let you be good, even the evil. And here's a perfect example. Someone who has it all, take it all away. And and your, you, you know, your, um, uh, creature who who knows you the best that is offering sacrifices for his children in case they do anything uh, uh, evil or wrong, or, but they're still having family meals together, then then your character will be impugned by him. Well, th- that's the attack that even Satan in that passage is acknowledging, acknowledging the stake. The stake is uh, God's character and nature comporting with yeah. both good and right.
1: evil. It, it's kind of like, you know, he says, uh, the only reason why you do good to him is because, you know, he does this stuff for you, right? But if he didn't do this stuff for you, then you wouldn't do good to him. So he, you know, it's, it's, it is a challenge to God's nature, right? And God is going to say, you know, well, what we see in the, in the, uh, in the account is God does good and evil, and it doesn't matter. He's still God. And Job, obviously, you know, goes through this
0: particular ordeal. Right. right? So this isn't a a roll of the dice. Nothing is left to chance. God knows full well that Job will retain his moral integrity and refuse to curse him in face of murder and mayhem. The fact that he declares the end from the beginning helps that out as well. (laughs) Uh, Because he has predetermined the outcome, Job passes the test, but his wife does not. She says, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Thanks, hon. Appreciate (laughs) that. Notice she doesn't say curse Satan and die.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that, so that's really interesting. He, uh, Christensen tells us that humans intuitively turn to God when calamity strikes. Right? There
0: are no atheists in foxholes. That's
1: right, because <laughs> they understand that they're, they're in their heart of hearts that God controls the events of history. Job remains unmoved by the seething anger, you know, building up in his wife's heart. You speak as one of the foolish women, he tells her, right? Uh, shall we receive notice, good from God and shall we not receive evil? Right. That's what he tells her, right? In, in light of, of everything that's known
0: from the fall onward.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and so once again, you know, uh, Christensen tells us that we might expect many readers to think that Job has uttered something impertinent, right? That somehow Job has blasphemed, receiving evil from God, right? Oh, no. He's failed already. the, The inspired author tells us this. In all this, Job did not sin with his lips, there, he, there it is, right? In mm-hmm. other words, he believes that um, God to be responsible for the evil that transpires, but not morally culpable mm-hmm. or blamable for the evil, right? Mm-hmm.
0: So even Job's brothers and sisters understand this robust theology of providence. The inspired writer records their faithful, th- the- theodical thoughts. They showed him sympathy and comfort him from all the evil the Lord had brought upon mm-hmm. him in verse 11 mm-hmm. and all that unfolds in the book of Job. Satan is never mentioned on the lips of the human participants. Yahweh alone is regarded as the author of Job's calamity yet. He remains free of moral, moral culpability. Yeah. And so I think the, that's where we will we'll stop. And yeah. so, you know, from, from this, um, Uh, job passage we're we're kind of seeing where christian's going to go by saying god is transcendent uh his ways are not our ways we can't think like god because only god is god and so we have to um face the testimony of scripture and see what it says of what god reveals and part of it is that god is both responsible for the evil that occurs
1: but he doesn't get down in the the dirt. Dirty. He's not morally culpable for it. Right, right. Right. He he allows it. He accounts for it. He you know uh, decrees it. But that doesn't mean that he is blamable for the evil. Mm-hmm. Each person does that. In fact, in this instance, Satan does that. You know, on his own. Right. 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 And so, so
0: th- this is kind of like the the the. The dawn soap of, you know, you, you put it on your hand and you put, <laughs> try and put the grease on it or the dirt and it slips off. It's just not able to to, to stick to the the surface because of the nature of the soap. Yeah. The nature of God does not allow him to be morally culpable to this. And so uh, that might not be satisfying to you in this chapter. But chapter nine will deal a lot more with that. So yeah. if you're like, oh, I'm, I'm just not satisfied with this explanation, yeah. what we're, what, what, what Christiansen's doing is he's offering the biblical testimony to say, "What does the Bible say about evil and God in relationship?" Well, it seems to say He brings it forth, but He's also not morally culpable. And so, we'll look at a few more examples and things like divine hardening and, and so on and so forth in the next episode as we finish up uh, chapter eight, walking through the Bible's dark forest. And so, thanks for joining us. Check out the uh, the short clips that we do for these if uh, you kind of want to go back and, and you're like, when did they say this? We also put the chapter breaks in there if you don't want to wait uh, per the week or if you want something to share, uh, those will be available to you. You can always find us at com, and we appreciate any shares, supports, likes, all the things that you're supposed to do on social media. Be social. <laughs> be nice. So
1: thanks for joining us. See you next time.